if if we can connect more people through engagement without work, growth without marketing, and shifting people from strangers into collaborators, it's another level to that speed of innovation, that speed of creativity, that ability to ramp something up very quickly and pull it back down and evolve it in 47,000 ways. Friday and welcome to Not Boring Founders. Congratulations, you made it through another week. So Not Boring Founders is a podcast where, as you know at this point, I hit record on the conversations that I have with founders who are in the Not Boring portfolio and other founders that I respect who are building the future. Today's guest, Gina Bianchini, is one of the founders who's actually invested in me. Gina's an LP in Not Boring Capital, but more importantly, she's the founder and CEO of Mighty Networks, which makes it easy to create, grow, and monetize online communities. Mighty is the result of nearly two decades of Gina's career spent building online social products back to the early 2000s when she built Ning with Mark Andreessen, and she's been building for community and online social spaces ever since. Given the fact that social is even more in the news than it normally is these days, Gina's one of the best possible people to talk to about what's going on online, what can be done to fix it, or whether it can be fixed at all. More broadly, Gina's just one of my favorite people to talk to. It's refreshing. She's blunt. She's honest. And I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. If you haven't heard Gina before, I'm really excited to introduce you to her. Before I do, though, a quick word from our sponsor and the sponsor of all of season two of Not Boring Founders. I'm going to give you a second to guess it. Ah, that's right. It's FTX US. You already know about FTX. FTX is the fastest company ever to reach a $32 billion valuation. FTX US is independently worth $8 billion. And FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried is a living legend, a self-made 29-year-old multi-multi-billionaire who plans to give it all away. This week, SBF was in the news not once, but twice. Once as a meme when he was on stage in the FTX event down in the Bahamas, and two, when he had a very honest conversation with Matt Levine. When SBF talks, people listen. That's because SBF is really, really good at building crypto products with FTX. If there's something you want to do in crypto, chances are FTX has a product for you. It's the exchange and derivatives platform that the professionals use, one of the largest exchanges in the U.S., and the maker of the FTX app. The FTX app is the most complete app in crypto. It allows users to buy crypto like Bitcoin, Ethereum, Solana, and Doge, which might be the new official currency of Twitter, and even NFTs with no fees. Users can use a crypto debit card, track their entire crypto portfolio, and get important news updates. It's also cheaper than any other cryptocurrency exchange. There's no fixed minimum fee on transactions, no ACH or transaction fees, and no withdrawal fees. If you want to close your eyes and ignore the market, which is a better and better move every day, you can set up recurring buys directly from your bank account for a dollar cost averaging strategy. But instead of listening to me talk about it, because we really want to get to the conversation with Gina, just go try it for yourself. Go to your app store of choice, download the FTX app, and when you sign up, enter my code, not boring, all one word. And when you trade $10, you get a free coin. Or do it the easy way and just click the link in the show notes and it'll do it all for you. Either way, crypto is certainly cheaper than it was a few months ago, so now might be a good time to take a look. And it's a great way to say thank you to FTX for sponsoring season two of Not Boring Founders. Thank you, FTX US, for supporting conversations like this one. 
with the CEO and founder of Mighty Networks, Gina Bianchini. Gina, thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you for having me. As we were just talking before we hit record, big fan, big, big fan over here. I'm a big fan of yours too. So this is, I think you're the first LP to come on the show. So thank you for the support. I like like that. I love being an LP. I'm a proud LP. And look, I mean, we could spend this podcast talking about how thoughtful and interesting and provocative you are and why I'm just glad you exist in the world. Perfect. Actually, so I'm going to throw out the script and we're just going to talk about how awesome I am for the next. I, I mean, it seems hour, like kind of the way to go, right? I, you know what? We'll get there. But to start, you tell me what happens to the world and what the world looks like in a decade if Mighty Networks is successful as it can possibly be. Yeah, I, I think about this a lot. And the answer that I will give you is that I want to live in a world where there are millions of unique, vibrant, technicolored communities that all have a different purpose, a different, a, a different take on the world, uh, a, a different way of welcoming people home. And that any of us, any individual isn't just in, you know, one speed that they're scrolling through day in and day out but rather they are moving from experience to experience, from interest, passion, goal, lifestyle. Anytime something is is happening to them, anytime there's a new transition, anytime there's just like you're bored and you're like, I need something new and interesting in my life. I want there to be a new community that captures your imagination, that feels different and is built differently and taking, you know, another way to think about it is like no code kind of taken to 11. And that's the world I want to live in. Uh, And I think that just we we are at such early stages of what is possible when you start thinking about connections and the internet differently. And that's that's the world I live in and the world I want to keep living in. Well, I'm I'm in a bunch of Discord groups. Is that we're not already in that in that world? Is Discord not the not the end state here? Does it feel like Discord is the end state? <laughs> no, it does not feel like Discord is the end state. Does it feel like they're different worlds as opposed to like some variation on the same feed whizzing by you? And, and look, the the interesting thing is if you take a step back and look at community platforms abstractly, they are to a platform built for people who already know each other. Facebook built for people who already know each other. Facebook groups, as a result, built for people who already knew each other. If you look at Slack, Slack was built for people who already knew each other and specifically small groups of people who already knew each other, They built for startup teams, basically. If you look at Discord, it is built for groups of friends playing video games. And by the way, as a result, as we start to really want to push the boundaries on community innovation, you have all of these platforms that, for the most part, people think, they're, they are how communities work. That's just what you do. Like, and communities are therefore hard and you have to hire like lots of people and have lots of things because they're basically being used for a use case that they weren't built for. Before I wrote the newsletter, I was starting something called Not Boring Club, 
that was going to be an in-person like so house meets college extracurriculars yeah. then COVID hit and I brought it online and it was in a slack group and I realized that like I hated running a community because exactly what you just said like every day I'd go in there and it'd be like maybe silent in some areas and too active in others and so I'd have to like do all this hand-to-hand combat of trying to connect right. people one-to-one I was like I just don't like this it's not fun and and so what what is what happens what happens is you have either uh chaos and and like just like whatever like or you are like oh my god I just have to like shut this down and go write a newsletter um and we at Mighty Networks believe that there is a middle path here there is actually a different approach and and specifically we are building software when, when I think about our north star our north star is to create a platform that unlocks people magic and that those magical connections between people around their interests, their passions, their goals, things that they want to discover, things that they want to come together and do. And we really think about it as like, how do we turn strangers into collaborators? And we're not ever going to be able to do that on the current platforms. Because the other thing that happens is that the DNA of companies are set at product market fit. They just are. Like, you can move things incrementally, but fundamentally, when you hit product market fit, you're like, oh my God, it finally worked. This is amazing. And everything, whether you like it or not, whether you're Mark Zuckerberg or whether you are like somebody who's just kind of struggling along, when you have that moment of fit, it's kind of when the DNA gets gets really solidified. I hadn't so, thought about it, but- it it can also degrade, right? Because like Facebook is nowhere near as fun or as whatever as it was when it found product market fit originally. So I guess it can degrade, but right. not change. Correct. Well, and and if you just look at the fact that like as a platform, they are still trying to bring you back to the Facebook feed. It's it's still it, it actually is worse today in 2022, and it, it sadly it's you know it's it's one of the reasons why the founders of Instagram left is like. How do we bring it? How do we how how do we make this cesspool cool? You're not going to make the cesspool that was awesome in 2005 cool again. You're just not. And so one of the things that, you know, I'm a big believer in, and I think you actually do such a great job of this in, in so much of your writing, but specifically like the whole compounding crazy and like creativity and like what is happening is that you've got to build tools for this next era, this next generation that are much more flexible. And that for us, again, our North Star is we want people to create different experiences. We want them to be able to choose their features and name things in different ways and have different, not just, you know, configurations of features, but also the ability to bring certain groups together and organize them in ways so that going back to your Slack example, it all magically happens. And the things that we can do in software today, and certainly what we're building towards, is how do we create magic? How do we create that 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 amazing party experience that you have been to and you have had where like somebody just kind of knows you and they're like, oh my God, Gina, you've got to meet Packy. And like, Packy, you got to meet Gina because you guys both want to meet people that are doing cool and interesting things. Did you see what I did there? Um <laughs> do cool and interesting things and and like you guys should know each other there is no reason why that has to be a person today and certainly as we move forward how do you think about 
designing for kind of the flexibility to let the people who are running the communities build what they want and also guiding and making those introductions and like learning from your experience and the community's experiences. So I think the promise of this next era of community innovation has got to be, it's got to be engagement without work and growth without marketing. So how do you go, going back to your example, how could you set something up, invite the first 20 people in and that the software, now again, this is, this is vision here, but the software is actually making those connections between the most relevant members. They're breaking, it's breaking the ice. It's doing all the things that in your head, you're like, if I had all the time in the world and I actually enjoyed it, that would be really fun because like, those are fun things to do. So if we, if software can give you the superpowers to be able to make those connections without having to do the work and then coming back to you with like, Hey, Packy, like, check this out. Like, look at this collaboration that can happen here. Or like, look at what's already happening um, without you having to do the work. And so you can, you can tweak things at, on the margin, but for the most part, you don't have to do the heavy lifting that again, you have to do when you're trying to scale thousands of people in a place that was built for 10 people playing a video game together. How do you avoid the uncanny valley aspect of it? Yeah. And I'm misusing that maybe a little bit, but we're no, like, no, no. I, I, you know, I, like, I, like I, Facebook yeah. would be like, oh, you both have expressed right. that you like Harry Potter. You guys right. should meet. Yeah. So there's one critical difference between Facebook, LinkedIn, like all of the, all of the tries before. And that's context. And so the reason we focus and the reason like I've spent my career obsessed with communities and specifically interest-based communities is because it has context. You are showing up to do something. And, and if you think about just like what's happening in Web3, like in the need for utility in these projects over the long haul, think about it this way. When you have context and you have you have a set sort of, hey, here's why we're here together, you have software has permission to do different things than if it is like, I'm on Facebook and Facebook's super creepy because they're like throwing 4,000 reels at you. And like also the reels that they're throwing at me, I'm like, really, Facebook? Like, that's what you think I'm into? I didn't even realize they did that because I haven't oh. been on Facebook in so long. Yeah. No, check, check out Instagram. The, the reels is real. Um, nice. but anyways, but, but the point is it's the difference between general intelligence and, you know, one size fits all definitions of community to again, why that first. So, so if you think about this in layers, so the first layer of community innovation has got to be that flexibility, that ability to create for any host, as we call folks who create communities, any host to be able to define different areas of their community that they want to operate in different ways. So for example, on a Mighty Network today, that's the ability to say, hey, I want to have an online course uh, with just content or to say, actually, I want to build a cohort-based course where there's the materials, but the community is right there and it's all packaged together. Or what, what we've unlocked and innovated on, which is a community course, which is, you know what? We're going to actually learn together and have the community be front and center and that the course material is like behind the scenes just being built just in time. Totally different way of doing it. Those are three very different ways of creating three very different experiences. Then once you start to have that flexibility to do different things, you're like, oh my God. And actually maybe I have one set of, of spaces that's for 
like these kinds of people that I serve. And maybe this other space is for these other kinds of people that I serve. And you start to sort of see these these areas where it just gets easier and easier, going back to your Slack example, to introduce the most relevant people to each other and break the ice. Then you layer on top of that, how does the software just get smarter about connecting people? So I'll give you, I'll give you an example. So one of the things we, we see on Mighty is that polls and questions, super popular for breaking the ice. Like they are the social lubricant of online communities. They just, they, they are. And so now imagine, and, and again, we have the data that says these are the kinds of questions that are really popular. What if instead of you as the, as the host having to come up with everything yourself, and by the way, on Slack or Discord, really hard to actually do polls and questions in any sort of way that you can, you can follow it. So now imagine we can push to you, hey, Packy, here's 20 questions for this week. Like, do you want to tweak any of them? And you're like, oh, yeah, like that one's great. Oh, that's awesome. And then you have a few more and you tweak them and you hit a button that says, yeah, great, go for it. And then the software figures out when to actually post them for the optimal, optimal time of people answering, people coming back. The software then is showing who are the right people to connect to each other. The software is doing that work. And then you're coming back and you're like, oh my God, like people love me and people love this community because (laughs) like they're getting what they want from it. Everything I just described is like super obvious. And yet it's not obvious because when you are building a community on software built for people, I'm not even going to call it wrong software. It's, It's great software. But it's just built for a different use case. It's built for people who already know each other. So then you are so busy. You are so busy and you are like in the grind that either you just stay in the grind and you're like, this is what it means to build a community. And by the way, I hope I can find somebody that I can pay tens of thousands of dollars a month so that they can manage all of the the chaos. Or you're like, fuck it, I'm writing a newsletter. And so, you know, and, and, and and the problem with fuck it, I'm writing a newsletter is that you're not building a network effect. Yep. Like you're you're creating content. And last time I checked, if you had a choice between building a network effect business or a content business, as an LP in your fund, I hope I hope you and I are on in sync on like the right answer to that. I, I've only invested in content businesses out of the fund. Is that not the right not the right move? Um we'll talk about that after the podcast. <laughs> No, so one of the things that you said in there, you said a lot, and I'm going to ask you kind of sequentially here, but one of sure. them that I think I want to dig into quickly is you said like the people get what they signed up for, what they show for. How common is that across communities? Like what people are expecting when they join a community and how much is it different community by community? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. So we, we see it in the data. You know, I've been, I've been doing this work for a while. Um, I've, I've seen it in the data pretty much across the board. Thriving communities have what we call a big purpose, the the motivation for the community. And, you know, what's cool about a big purpose is it actually follows a really specific formula because it's what people are listening for when they give you three seconds to tell them, like, what are you doing and why should I care? So, for example, you know, with with a big purpose, it's literally who do you bring together? What are you going to do together? And what are you going to get for doing those things together? So we talk about it as like, a transition. Like if you are building a community for people that are undergoing a transition and, and when I say undergoing that, like very broadly, like graduating from high school, starting your first job, wanting to make more money, 
um, wanting to experiment with a new project. You know, like the list sort of goes on and on. And then you basically capture that in the motivation for that community. You will be guaranteed to get better results than what most people do when they're starting a community. And they're just like, they want it to be really general. So they're like, I bring together the human beings of earth to learn, share, and grow together so that we can become better versions of ourselves and realize the life that we want. Well, that's a huge damn. There's like 8 billion people in the world. That's right. It makes a ton of sense. It's, I love this expression, and it's one that's you know been around for a while. Certainly, you know, here where I live and work, which is the zero billion dollar market. And <laughs> the problem is the zero billion dollar market. Like that's where you're like, oh, if I go bigger and bigger and bigger, and in fact, actually, the most successful communities start narrow, uh, and they start narrow, and they have a very clear purpose to them. So whether that is I'm drawn to the story of a project, I'm drawn to the characters, I'm drawn to the the model, I'm drawn to what we're going to do together, I'm drawn to belonging and identity. It's those things are the most important to go super narrow. And then when you go super narrow, what's beautiful is that you can always add more people. You can always go out. But if you if you start too broad, you never get off the ground. You Makes don't have sense. anything to build on. I mean, if we're going to diagnose why not boring club that was also because I was like, yeah, I know it's like kind of everything that like smart people urge. And it was like way too broad. Right. I think that was the other problem. And right. I think that probably makes it harder to also like, you know, software can help, but it probably also makes it harder to like form those connections when people are like, I think I'm here because like, right. I like smart people also. Yeah, to me, that's why, you know, the world bends towards decentralization. It bends towards breaking apart into our own niches, our own communities, our own places, and why we're such passionate believers in give hosts the tools to create totally different things. And then on top of that, as they're creating totally different things, you know, build this, we, we, we call it, you know, people magic build the layer of people magic so that the software plays the role of making you packy in the not boring private club in a treehouse, because that is more interesting to me. Is it being in a treehouse than yeah, being on sure. black? Uh, in a treehouse, like I'm going to help you. Like I'm personifying software here in this in this sentence, but I'm going to help you like make these connections, and then people are going to love you, and they're going to find value from this because you're not doing it just like you're doing it because you want cool people to meet each other. You want people to learn. You want them to you know, explore new horizons and you want to invite them into the new world and like invent the future to sound super cheesy, but that's what it is. Amen. And so, and so the thing that's interesting is once you add that layer of context, all sorts of new things become possible that in a general one size fits all community, AKA social media is creepy. But it's not creepy when you are in a private or focused or interest-based community that is that, that people are there because they want to meet other people. But the thing about it, we've gotten so bad at like human meeting and human, like we're feral, like, like, and it's not just COVID. It's that we have spent years now consuming content in a feed and it's like, 
then all of a sudden you're expected to be active and you're expected to be fun and you're expected to like know how to connect with another human being. We're out of practice. And so I believe that software is the, software created the problem and software is going to get us out of it. What I'm picturing in my head right now is like being at any, you know, cocktail party where you don't really know a lot of people or networking event or whatever, like the feeling of relief that comes over you when somebody like saddles up and says hi, and it could be like, the person in the room that you care about the absolute least, but it's like another person. That's and right. so I can see software playing that role where it's like, hey, you should like go talk to that person over there so okay. you don't feel awkward anymore. That's exactly right. And if software, like we talk a lot about this internally, if software can remove the social anxiety, like e- even today, it's like, oh, well, you should reach out to so-and-so or like DM them or whatever. And it's like, you still don't know, like, what does that mean? If I reached out to you, are you going to think I'm weird? Like, are you going to think, you know, what is it? And so just if we can use software to remove that and basically when you enter a community, for example, when you enter a community, one of the questions you get asked is like, do you want to meet people? Yes. Great. So you guys have both opted in to meet people that are writing newsletters about the future. So now it's like, hey, Packy, you wanted to meet, you know, Gina, Gina, you wanted to meet Packy. You guys can meet. You guys should meet. And here's why. And so you start to think about, like, we have, I mean, we're in the process of building this stuff um, and, you know, putting in place today the ways that drive then the utility of, of, like, what then you do together. So, like, we talk about that as, again, moving from features. You need features so that you can generate utility. Utility drives value. And then on top of it, you need that social lubricant. You need that people magic to like surface the most relevant members to each other, to break the ice, to bring them back. And then going back to growth without marketing, if everybody in your community invites like two people. It's the most alluring community math. I remember running that model when I was starting that four income. I was like, oh my God, if everybody just invites two people, we're good. And so what better way of figuring out when is the right moment to ping people, to nudge, to prompt people, to invite those two people. Like we haven't even scratched the surface on this kind of intelligence that that ultimately is designed to bring utility, to bring value, to bring, we, we think about it as like quests because, you know, who doesn't want to go on a quest? And there's really like, there's four kinds of quests. There's courses. So what are you learning together? There's challenges. What are you taking on together? There's experiences. Like, what are you experiencing together? And then there's collabs. Like, what are you building together? You know, as we go back out to that picture of 10 years from now, not only do we think that we can move people from strangers to collaborators, but what happens when we have that that additional layer, that additional people magic that like of the people that are coming together, who should know each other and what should they be prompted to do together? And how do we set up, you know, we think about them as programming quests and like letting you as a host, imagine again, coming back to the not boring club in a treehouse. like imagine you could basically be like, dudes, you know what I really want? I really want my members to be able to like learn about this or collaborate on this or like take on this challenge. And like you set it up and it's like the software takes care of the rest. And you only start to do this when you make that flip from accepting community software the way it is today or deciding that this is the linchpin of innovation and the way that if if we can connect more people 
through engagement without work, growth without marketing, and shifting people from strangers into collaborators. It's another level to that speed of innovation, that speed of creativity, that ability to ramp something up very quickly and pull it back down and evolve it in 47,000 ways. And I would argue it's the missing piece to unlocking so much more innovation from here. I'm going to try to do a lot with this question all all in one. So you've mentioned utility a few times, the U word. You mentioned Web3 earlier. You mentioned that you've been doing this for a little while. So I'm going to have you simultaneously walk through the evolution from Web1 to Web3 with your career and particularly how community has evolved throughout that. So good luck. So here's the thing. I'll start at the at the end of Web 1 going into Web 2. So at the end of Web 1 going into Web 2, a friend of mine called me up and was like, Gina, let's start a platform together. And I was like, okay, like, let's say more. And, and I was living in Palo Alto and, um, and my friend, like literally my friends in downtown Palo Alto, one founded a social network you've heard of called LinkedIn. Uh, another was like leaving LinkedIn to go work at Facebook, which was around the corner from our office. And my friend and I started a platform, a programmable platform for building social applications in 2004. And this also just speaks to the fact that timing is everything, which is also why like I'm super patient. I'm okay waiting for moments and opportunities and being too early. So anyways, so we started a programmable platform for social applications. Our original customer was going to be developers. Like we were building social primitives to be able to allow developers to, to quickly spin up photo apps or video apps or a combination of photo, video, blog, you know, like at the time, Google Maps. In fact, somebody built one of my favorite early, early Ning apps, which was Douche Tracker. <laughs> allowed you in Hollywood to track sightings of C or D list celebrities. Also, <laughs> in this person's view, douches. And so, this is the learned, beauty of giving people primitives, right? Is they can just design exactly. this really inspiring stuff. Exactly. Douche tracker is, is like remains one of my favorite things about the internet. <laughs> so, anyways, so we we built this platform, and fundamental to our belief at the time, uh, and, and interestingly, I would say remains my belief and remains the belief of my co-founder of Ning, which is people should have the freedom to create whatever they want in their own corner of the internet, as long as it's legal in your area. In general, they should own it. So we built Ning really in the in the spirit and the model of websites, not Uber social media platforms that have become these, you know, monoliths. And so in doing that, we, from day one, we were like, you own your Ning network. This is about your creativity. This, you own the data. You own the experience. You own what you are building. And it's, it's interesting. I went back and I looked at something that I wrote literally, I think it was like 2007, 2008. We had Viacom launch a Ning competitor. So Ning gave people a way to create their own social networks. And again, it started as a developer platform. We moved it into anybody could use it. And it was drag and drop. Uh, and and Mighty Networks is a continuation of that in many yeah. respects. So anyways, at the time, you know, so Viacom came in. So all I did is I read Ning's terms of service and I read Viacom's terms of service for this service called Flux. 
and it was it was like literally like Flux's terms of service were like if you have a child during the time that you are using Flux, that child will be the property of Viacom. Like it was literally the worst thing ever. And so I wrote up this whole thing. Like TechCrunch picked it up. It's like on the internet somewhere. But the reason I'm going into detail in this story is that the idea that you own your own corner of the internet is fundamental, fundamental to my definition of web two. And so to me, what's been fascinating is the fact that web two is now this, like these big monolithic services that you're like building on your, you know, building on, on, on sand. And it's like, it didn't have to be this way. Totally. And it doesn't have to be this way. There's nothing that, there's nothing that made these inevitable. There's nothing that made these inevitable. And so fast forward to today and you know, Mighty Networks is built in the same way that we built Ning in insofar as like you own it. It's yours. Like we need enough to be able to run the service. Uh, we need enough to be able to build a business that allows us to to be sustainable. Um, but beyond that, like go nuts. Like you do you. And you do you from a no code creating the experiences from, you know, full access to the data. If you want to move, you can move. God bless, you know. And that to me is, is you know, on one hand, you know, you could sort of say, like, I'm a one-trick pony. I have been building against this idea for over a decade. And I'm pretty unapologetic about it because, first of all, it's really hard. Like, what I've described in terms of people magic is really hard. But it is critical. It is absolutely critical if it, if we're going to unlock social, economic, really cool experiences that fundamentally allow creators and entrepreneurs and brands to build unique experiences that are instantly valuable for people. If we don't push the ability for you, Packy, to create like to have the newsletter you have now and be able to like set up a not boring community or a not boring club that connects the most relevant members to each other that that like allows you to do this stuff while not actually having to do all the work and all the, oh my God, like what am I going to put in the community? Like I'm going to share some weird article and like now I need 47 hot takes <laughs> and like whatever, you, you, we've yep. all been there. So we're not there yet. I mean, we've got something that's pretty differentiated today. Um, but fundamentally, when I think about the arc of web one to web two to web three, the underlying principle in, in everything that certainly I'm building and, uh, and leading in terms of building is you own it. Let's give you as much creativity and flexibility as we possibly can while still making it easy and hosted. Yep. So like there's a whole set of people that are really great at building actual developer tools and primitives. Like we're, what I realized is my, my interest is in how do we bring this stuff to the masses? How do we bring this stuff to normal everyday people that are not going to code, but rather give them the flexibility and the freedom to build, to build social and cultural experiences we can't even imagine today. It seems like people are probably the hardest thing. Like once we figure out how to travel like past the speed of light and all that, like people are still going to be bickering and squabbling on social media and all of that kind of stuff. 
So when you look at someone who's been designing in this space for a long time at Elon buying Twitter and, and not mm -hmm. to like do the hot take thing, but I think you'd have a really interesting take here. Like it actually feels like in some ways it's easier to build reusable rockets than to figure out how people should like get along in a constructive way on a big open platform. How do you think about whether he's going to be successful and like what success would look like here? Yeah, it's a great question. So first and foremost, I have never believed that everyone is supposed to be smushed in to one experience. Like fundamentally, what, what, we are, what we are doing right now is we are all arguing about a one-size-fits-all social platform. It's one-size-fits-all. And, and, and the fact of the matter is it's the, the tension comes when we're just trying to smush everybody together. And I would go a step further, which is the dark side of the internet and the dark side of social media and social networks over the last decade is that we have been in one continuous a, B, C, D, E, F, G, Z test for what is the language that is going to divide people the most. Yeah. And so when you look at the fact that we have spent 10 years, almost like we're frogs in boiling water, we have basically been trained to hate each other. And, and all the tools that we use to try to like get people to convert to our website, they have all been used by both true believers and bad actors. So like, this is not, this is not like just foreign interference. This is literally the combination, the deadly combination of true believers and bad actors have come together yeah. to create, to create this stew. So I'm of the school that says social media is somewhat unredeemable that there's a role for it to play in terms of dabbling, in terms of awareness generation. But the, the right answer, the right answer that is going to save our sanity, create people that aren't depressed and anxious at 14, is if we can create communities where people can be themselves. And to me, that does not mean that we're all going to be ourselves in the same exact place after 10 years of A-B testing to ensure that anything that comes out of your mouth, I'm going, like, I, I believe that you are, are physically harming me. And anything that I say is that, like, you believe it is physically harming you. And so I just, I think it's, unre I, I, th I think, I think it's unredeemable. It, I was the biggest defender for the longest, longest time. And the, like, now there's some little things where I'm just like, God, like this one person whose picture is like a frog with a dick coming out of its head who has yeah. one follower and joined the platform yesterday, just said something that like, it's like mean, but also has like, just like enough truth to it that I like, I doubt myself. And those little interactions are allowed to just like come in and hit you whenever <laughs> it's super right. and, weird. And, unfor and unfortunately, um, they are going to be the main way of operating. And so I, I just think it's, I think we're going to look at it. It's like, okay, it's a chapter, like it's done. And you know, it's one of the reasons why I'm working as hard as I'm working and my team is working as hard as we're working to say, you know what, everybody can be happier creating their own worlds. And I don't think that that's a bad thing. I think the only people, you know, the whole echo chamber, I'm not sure the alternative to the echo chamber, first of all, is realistic, that there is one source of truth that everyone's going to agree on. And if only we can control the means of production, the, you know, the means of communication, then every, we, then we can go back to a world with three, you know, three broadcast television channels and three dudes who we like listen to and they tell us the truth. I don't think we're going back there. I don't think we're even going back to a world where 
that it's anything other than we have, in order to move forward, we all kind of have to go to our corners. We all have to basically spend more time in our tribes, with our tribes. And that to me is, is the best outcome for where we are. And it's not about regulating. I, I think regulating social media will never happen. It's a big distraction. And look, the worst thing that's happened to Facebook is not the U.S. government. It's TikTok. Yep. So I think we're going to just, I think we're going to innovate our way out of this moment. And I think that there's a beautiful, amazing world on the other side that I'm excited to get up. Well, I'm, ex I'm, I'm excited when I get up in the morning, but I'm excited because I think it's amazing. And I think that we have just scratched the surface on software innovation that is going to allow us to unlock new, different, and supportive belonging and experiences that are rich and technicolored and awesome and make our in real life better by making the internet and online world work better for us. Gina, I didn't think that anybody could out optimism me on the future of the internet, but I think you just did. So that's a perfect place to leave off. Thank you so much for, for joining, for being an LP, being a friend. This has been a ton of fun. Awesome. Thanks for having me. 